I was wondering the other day, who actually goes into the lemonade stand business? You've probably seen them before, you've seen them set up around your neighborhood, maybe your child tried it one afternoon. But there are actually professional lemonade stands out there. So that stands to reason that at some point, one person made the decision to take this from maybe a weekend hobby and go into the lemonade stand business full time. Maybe he wanted to try it one hot summer afternoon after seeing other kids in the neighborhood do it. Or maybe he set up a, at a baseball park and thought, maybe this is a way to add a little bit to my allowance. So he tries it out, gets his dad to set up a rickety lemonade stand for him, hand paints a sign, you know, lemonade 50 cents. And after one successful day, he tries it again and again and again and again. Then he gets invited to bring his lemonade stand to the middle school baseball game. Uh, then he ups his price to $2 a glass, and pretty soon he's got a lot of invitations to bring his lemonade stand everywhere to all kinds of events. He's getting really busy taking his lemonade stand all over town. Sure, he's making a really nice profit, but now things are a lot busier, a lot more professional. It's taking up more of his time than he expected. He's got to make special orders for lemons because he's using so many. He has to keep track of all of his expenses and profits in a spreadsheet. And what started as a little hobby has become a really time-consuming commitment. And in that moment, he has to make a choice. Is this going to become some kind of a career? Is he going to hire a couple of employees to help share the load? What will he choose? Maybe some of you are thinking, boy, I ought to get into the lemonade business. Maybe some of you are thinking, I wish that was my kid. My son doesn't even know, know what a spreadsheet is. Whatever you're thinking, you understand that moment, though. There's a moment where we have to make this decision. Is this a hobby or is this something more? Is this for fun or is this something that I'm going to turn into a career? Am I trying this out? Or am I willing to invest in it? These kinds of moments aren't unique to the business world, and I think a much more common experience probably lies in the realm of relationships. Is this relationship committed or casual? In this video that you're going to watch, Kyle Eidelman, the author of the book Not a Fan, on which this sermon series is based, talks about this phenomenon of defining relationships. Take a look. DTR. Some of you will recognize what those letters stand for. If you're not sure, let me help you out. If you are a young man in a relationship with a young woman, then uh, chances are these letters are enough to strike fear into your heart. You may run away from, postpone, you may dread the DTR talk. Some young men will even terminate a relationship if they feel like the DTR talk is imminent. It is that official talk that takes place in every romantic relationship. Do you know what it stands for, DTR? Define the relationship. You sit down and you decide where things are going. Have things moved from casual to committed? I remember this uh, date I went on in high school on the very first date the girl tried to have the DTR talk with me. First date, DTR. I got out of their PDQ. I just ran away. 
Sometimes it's scary to have that DTR talk, right? But over the next six weeks, I want all of us to examine our relationship with Jesus. Now, I get the fact that for some of you, this might be kind of a first date, and you're not exactly sure what to make of any of this. That's great. You don't need to have the DTR talk with Jesus on the first date. But you will eventually. And I think that there's many of us in the church who need to have that DTR talk with Jesus right now. We need to define the relationship and find out where we stand with Jesus. And to look at Christ's invitation, we'll be using a verse that clearly lays it out, what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's Luke 9.23, and it reads, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now we need to take a look at this invitation to take up our cross because I think some of the meaning gets lost in our modern context. Right? David Platt describes it like this. This is taking it to another level. Pick up an instrument of torture and follow me. This is getting plain weird and kind of creepy. Imagine a leader coming on the scene today and inviting all who would come after him to pick up an electric chair and follow him. Any takers? This is an intense type of relationship that Jesus is describing here. But I think many of you will welcome the DTR talk because you're ready to move to a different level in the relationship. Pastor Brian Zond described this moment in his life saying, I was weary of the tired cliches of bumper sticker evangelicalism. I was disenchanted by a paper thin Christianity propped up by cheap certitude. I, it was safe, but it failed to enchant. I was yearning for something deeper, richer, fuller. If that sounds like you, then you're ready to move past the casual and past the convenient into something more devoted, something more committed. So you're ready for this talk. Some of you are not, because you kind of like the setup you have with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is a nice guy. You like to go to church. It gives you something to do on the weekend. You kind of like what you have going, but this idea of being more committed, this idea of taking it to a different level, that makes you a little bit anxious. Maybe you even go into full-fledged fight-or-flight mode. But what we want to do is define the relationship. Where do you stand with Jesus? And here's how I'd like to ask that question. Are you a follower or are you a fan of Jesus? Now, some of you are wondering why I would ask a question like that, right? We're all followers of Jesus. That's why we're here. We wouldn't show up. We wouldn't tune in to this video if we weren't followers, right? Don't jump to your answer too quickly. The word fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. We're all fans of different things, right? Many of us are fans of sports. We watch the games. We cheer on the team. Some of us own jerseys of our favorite players and teams. When I was a pastor in Oklahoma, you would know how the OU football team played on Saturday based on people's moods on Sunday morning. If the Sooners lost, forget trying to get anything done in Sunday school the next morning. Since moving to Kentucky, I found the same phenomenon with UK basketball. I once mentioned Christian Leitner in a service about 
forgiveness, and my congregation almost literally booed me, okay? I mean, Big Blue Nation has the fan thing down pat. They know what it means to be invested as fans. We understand this concept of being fans in sports. But my concern is that churches have the potential to very easily become stadiums full of Jesus fans. Jesus never cared about having fans. If you define a fan as an enthusiastic admirer, then fans were not important to him at all. See, I think we have a tendency to come together once a week and be fans of Jesus. We sit down in our seats, we open up our bulletins, whether they be paper or digital in this case. We applaud at certain times and we leave thinking that as fans, this whole church thing was done for us. We get in the car, we evaluate the sermon, we evaluate the songs, we give them thumbs up, thumbs down, and then we come back and do the same thing the very next week. And I get the fact that some of us are really big fans, right? We're all into all of this. We know the songs. We don't need uh, references or page numbers for the Bible. You know right, the right answers to the right questions that are raised by the culture wars. You know the positions that you're supposed to hold. You're always in church, whether it's in person or online. You're big fans of Jesus. And uh, being a fan feels pretty good. We can feel pretty good about ourselves because we're these great admirers of Christ. But again, he never cared about having fans. So if we'll be honest with ourselves, if we'll really search our hearts and begin to define the relationship with Jesus, there are three questions that we really have to answer. The first is this. Why are you here? Why are you watching this service? Why do you participate in these types of services and Bible studies and things like that. Why are you here? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you look around and you ask yourself, what in the world am I doing here? Several years ago, I, I ran a half marathon and 13.1 miles through the streets of downtown Rochester, New York with burning legs and a churning stomach gave me plenty of time to ask myself, why am I here? Why did I train four months for this and pay money to subject myself to this? But I was there because I wanted to accomplish something, because I wanted to push myself and prove that I could do it. And plus the entry fee went to charity. But a cool thing about running events is that people usually line the running route with uh, encouraging signs and they cheer and, and uh, encourage you and tell you, keep going, you can do it. Uh, and the cheers and encouragements of those individuals always means a lot to me. And most of the time, I don't even know who they are. But there was never any confusion between the fans and the runners, right? I was there to run, they were there to cheer. They were fans, I was doing the thing. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus at different points in his ministry would draw a line in the sand between the followers and the fans. One such instance is in John chapter 6. Jesus was at the height of his ministry and we read that large crowds were following him everywhere he went. He was really popular, he was working miracles, he even did this thing where he fed 
thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And a lot of people were following him around. But then Jesus realizes why they're coming. It says they're coming because of the miracles. The main reason these crowds were showing up was for the spectacle. They didn't care as much about the teaching. They didn't care about the life-changing lessons. They were there for the show. So why are you here? What is your because? Is it because you like the music or you like the sermons? Is it because you feel guilty if you don't go to church every Sunday? Some of you may be here because you want to check this whole Christianity thing out and see what it's all about. Is that why you're here? That might be fine for a little while, but at some point you're going to have to define this relationship. Why are you here? In that passage in John chapter 6, Jesus challenges the fans to a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And in verse 66 we read, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. A lot of them went home because Jesus said, let's define what we've got here. And what he offered them wasn't what they wanted. And it may be time for some people just to go home because they've come for a while, they understand things, yet they're just coming for miracles, more for the show, more for what Jesus can do for them. He wants there to be a point where you define your relationship. Why are you here? Because. Why? For Jesus, his because is that he wants to have a deep relationship with you. Why are you here? The second question we need to ask ourselves is, are you all in? Several years ago, I inexplicably became obsessed with watching the World Series of Poker on ESPN, which featured the best players in the world playing a brand of poker known as Texas Hold'em. I quickly picked up the, the lingo, check, raise, call, the flop, the river card. But the most exciting thing in any poker game was when someone went all in, when somebody bet all of their remaining chips on that current hand. Going all in is an all or nothing bet. The player either won the hand or they lost and were eliminated from the table and eliminated from the tournament. Going all in meant the player risked everything. They made a total commitment to the current hand that they were playing. Being a follower of Jesus requires complete and total commitment. A follower of Jesus will do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. They're absolutely loyal, completely committed. Let's be honest, though. On the whole, we don't do too well with absolute commitment, do we? I think most of the time we prefer selective commitment. Simply put, we customize Christianity. Oftentimes we'll look at our relationship with Jesus and say, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm going to pick and choose the areas in which I'll follow him. So you say, well, I'll follow Jesus, but don't talk to me about how I should be giving money to the poor and not spending on things that oppress workers. I work hard for that money and I should get to do whatever I want with it. Or, I'll follow Jesus, but 
don't tell me to abstain from my sexual desires. I can't help the fact that I have those desires. Don't ask me to abstain. I'm a follower of Jesus, but that's not going to stop me from getting what I want. Or, I'll follow Jesus, but don't tell me that I have to get involved in speaking out against racism or get involved in areas of racial justice or racial reconciliation. That stuff's way too controversial. Or, I'll follow Jesus, but don't tell me that my political opinions have to align with Jesus' teachings to care for the poor and the hungry and the sick and the foreigner and the imprisoned. I mean, that's not in my best interest to do that. So it's this customized Christianity that says, well, I'll follow Jesus, but only in the areas that are comfortable. Only in the areas that I agree with. I'm a Christian, but I'm not all in. Well, then you're not a follower of Christ. You're just a fan. There's not an option of selective commitment. It's not a possibility. There's no bargaining, no bartering, no finagling. When you decide to become a follower of Christ, you've got to be all in. And fans don't like the idea of going all in. They're not wild about having to make sacrifices or about having to deny themselves something that they desire or crave. Back to David Platt again, he says, this is where we need to pause because we're starting to redefine Christianity. We're giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus that we're more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class, American Jesus. If that's the kind of Jesus we want, then we're not all in. But if you've answered why you're here, then it'll be pretty easy to figure out if you are all in. If you weren't here for the right reasons, chances are you won't be able or willing to go all in. So in defining our relationship with Jesus, we've asked, why are you here and are you all in? And thirdly, we have to ask, have you made your faith your own? I come from a long line of pastors and theologians. I was raised in the church. My parents hosted Bible studies at our house. I was always involved in the midweek church activities, whether it be Awana or Boys Adventure Club or youth group. I attended a Christian high school from seventh grade until the time I graduated. For much of my life, I was the quintessential Jesus fan. I knew the songs, I knew the verses, I even used to occasionally write sermons for my family and deliver them before I was even 10 years old. But it wasn't until later in life that Christianity stopped being something that I just cheered on from the sidelines. It stopped being something that was just part of the culture in which I grew up and stopped being something that was just a part of my day-to-day -day living situation. It wasn't until later that I actually made my faith my own. Many of us get started going to church because of a parent. Mom made you, dad said you had to, there wasn't an option. Or maybe you started coming because of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. You come because they like it when you come. You come because it appeases them. For those of us who grew up in the church or who attend church in order to appease a significant other or a relative, it can become relatively easy to be a fan. It's like if you uh, carpool or share a car ride with someone who listens to a type of music that you're kind of indifferent to. They drive you to work or school every day and every morning it's Taylor Swift. I don't really 
care that much about Taylor Swift. I don't hate her or anything, but she's nowhere to be found in my music library. But she's fine to listen to. But eventually, a few of those songs start to grow on you a little bit, right? You can't help but hum along to shake it off or look what you made me do. So maybe you become a fan of Taylor Swift. And that can happen to us in church. We keep coming to appease somebody else, and pretty soon we get into the flow of things. We know most of the songs, we recognize most of the stories or the teachings, and we're kind of fans of Jesus. And that's a really dangerous position to be in. If your faith isn't your own, if you aren't pursuing a relationship with Jesus, and you keep coming week after week and create a faith that's actually somebody else's in the first place, you're really just numbing yourself to the real thing. You become numb to the real faith. Comfortable with a few songs, comfortable with a few verses, nothing that requires personal change or personal sacrifice. You have to make your relationship with Jesus your own. Jesus isn't interested in a relationship with you and your mom together. Jesus isn't interested in a relationship between you and your significant other together. He's interested in a relationship with you. That may be one of the reasons that Jesus said these words in Luke 14, 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, Jesus isn't telling you to hate your family. But what he's saying is that your commitment to him must completely supersede any allegiance, any commitment to any other human individual. This isn't about your mom or your dad or your boyfriend or your grandma. This is about you and Jesus. Why are you here? Are you all in? Have you made your faith your own? Friends, I encourage you to begin to search your heart over these next few weeks as we ask, am I a follower of Jesus or am I really just a fan? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ and that you call us to be his followers. We know that too often those who claim to be Jesus' followers are actually fans who just pick and choose which of his words and actions they're going to pay attention to. And we know that we each have been guilty of this. Father, we know that following Jesus isn't a matter of following a bunch of rules, but rather a promise of abundant life and the opportunity to be a part of establishing your kingdom of love and patience on this earth. Lord, over the next several weeks, may we each examine our relationships with Jesus and honestly define those relationships so that we know where we stand, so that we're not under any illusions. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever.